0: Hey guys, Tabitha and Jerry here and I would love for you to sit back and contemplate what imposter syndrome can do to you. You know how it can hurt your career. Here's the thing guys, if you have feelings of imposter syndrome, you can feel anxious at work. You know, where you find yourself spending Sunday dreading Monday rather than being present and relaxing in Sunday. Or it can have you procrastinating on that project because you're so afraid of failing. And then, of course, you fail. Or you could find yourself with unfinished projects and missed deadlines because of perfectionism used to actually cover up the feelings of imposter syndrome. And what about that time when you failed to raise your hand for that stretch project, that highly visible project at work, or for that promotion that you were well qualified for because of self-doubt? So there we are, guys. Unaddressed imposter syndrome could be sabotaging your career. So then, what is imposter syndrome? First, I want to say something. Imposter syndrome is a big word. And who wants to admit that they have experienced imposter syndrome? And yet, when the term was coined by Drs Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes in 1978, they stressed the fact that imposter syndrome is not a psychological illness, but rather it is an emotional experience like hurt or anger or shame that one experiences over and over again. Guys, I really wish they had given it a different name. Now, imposter syndrome is that feeling where we doubt our capabilities or we feel unworthy of our achievements or the accolades that are tied to our achievements. It is also when one is perhaps wondering when the axe will finally fall and their colleagues will finally discover that they are not as good as their colleagues projected them to be. And guys, imposter syndrome manifests itself through anxiety, through perfectionism, through self-doubt and through fear of failure. And guys, it is so pervasive in the workplace that the International Journal of Behavioral Science found that 70% of professionals have actually experienced it at some point at work. So you are not alone. But see this, guys, even if the name sucks, there is power in naming something because when you identify it, you can acknowledge it and then you can work through it rather than remaining stuck in it, which causes the consequences that we discussed earlier. And when we realize that imposter syndrome is simply a feeling, an emotion like sadness, then we take the power away from the name. Hi guys, again this is Tabitha and Jerry, and I help managers get the best out of their teams, smash their goals and of course, sleep well at night. Thank you for being here. Now in today's episode, we will cover practical tips that a manager can actually use to help themselves or their teams navigate through the emotion called imposter syndrome. And guys, as a reminder, there are five types of of imposter syndromes, or rather five ways that we cover up the feeling of being an imposter or the feeling of incompetence. Now I covered these five in detail in a previous article, which I will add to the comment section for your reference. But in summary, the five ways that people cover up the feeling of being an imposter or the feeling of incompetency, as laid out by Valerie Young, who's really an expert in this area are, The perfectionist, the expert, the superholic, also known as superman or superwoman, the natural genius, and the soloist. Managers, remember that just because you don't struggle with one area yourself doesn't mean that someone else doesn't. So empathy and compassion is important. So the question is, how can we as managers help our teams navigate through the fear and the shame that comes with imposter syndrome so that our teams can bring their best performance to work? Let's jump in to the five. So let's start with number one, the perfectionist. Now the perfectionist is the one that uses perfection to cover up for feelings of being an imposter or feelings that they are unqualified or incompetent for the job. Now they have impossibly high standards and when they fail to meet those standards, they beat themselves up and they feel deep shame and obsess about the failure for days. So then how should you respond as a manager when you have a team member who's a perfectionist? Grab that pen and paper because I will focus on two barriers to the perfectionist's success and what you can do about it. Firstly, sloppiness is not their challenge, guys. These guys are high quality and quality-driven. However, missed deadlines are their challenge because they need to feel that everything is done perfectly. I mean, even the inconsequential I's need to be dotted and the T's need to be crossed. And so guys, when I work with perfectionists, I help them see that their 80% accuracy is everyone else's 100%. And I reassure them that some mistakes are part of or rather are a natural part of the process and I help them delineate between acceptable mistakes versus the unacceptable ones. Now, the other big challenge, you know, for the perfectionist is procrastination, which is driven by the need to overplan before they take any action. The goal here, guys, is to help them take the first step. And I like to ask the perfectionists this question. What is the next right action to take? And by having them focus only on the next right action, then they are less likely to feel stress and they're more likely to get past the mental roadblock. Number two, the expert. Now, the expert uses depth of knowledge to cover up their feelings of being an imposter or being unqualified for the role. Now, even a minor lack of knowledge can actually create a feeling of failure or shame and actually have them worried that they would be exposed as unqualified or not knowledgeable enough. So then how should you respond as a manager? I will focus on two barriers to the expert's success. The first challenge is the need to co- their need to continuously acquire more and more information, even in areas that they have deep expertise in now this need can lead to delays in execution and missed deadlines and so when i'm working with the expats i like to have them focus on what we call just in time learning that is i ask them what is the information that you need right now and then have them focusing on learning just that information now and learning the rest when they need when the need to know actually comes up This keeps their projects moving forward. The second barrier that the expert faces is that they have convinced themselves that they're not knowledgeable enough. I mean, the goal here is to help and convince the expert of this notion by giving them opportunities to mentor others who are less qualified or junior to them. And in the process, they will realize how much of an expert they really are. And then number three, the superholic or the superman or superwoman. Now, the superholic works longer and harder than everyone else in order to cover up their feelings of being an imposter or unqualified. Now, through their hard work and often through juggling multiple roles, they prove their competence. So then how should you react as a manager? I will focus on two barriers to this superholic success. And the first is that they are workaholics, often burning the midnight oil and weekend oil, of course. But they don't do it because they love the work or because the workload is overwhelming. They do it for the external validation that their hard work will bring them. So as a manager, it is imperative that you help the superholic build up their sense of internal or self-validation. So when I work with superholics, I implement what I call bragging sessions with them. That is, during every one-on-one, I ask them to bring three of their most important and recent accomplishments. I then confirm their bragging rights. Having them initiating the brags and then me confirming the brags really helps build their self-validation muscle. Now, the second thing is that superholics tend to take constructive criticism personally and it can really keep them from being productive following that kind of feedback. So with them, it is critical that you use radical candor and the SBIR approach to giving constructive feedback effectively. Now, guys, I will add the links to the article uh, and the podcast episode in the comments below. You know, so you can learn more if you haven't act already. Number four, the natural genius. Now, the natural genius believes that new things should always be easy for them to learn. So they worry that they will be exposed as unqualified, you know, if things take them too long to learn or master. I mean, if they struggle to master a subject or skill, or if they don't get it right the first time, they feel a sense of shame and they believe that it demonstrates their incompetence. So then how should you respond as a manager? I will focus on one barrier to the natural genius's success. So the natural genius will avoid tasks and responsibilities that, are, that they're just naturally not good at, right? So what this results in is the fact that they may not be a well-balanced or a holistically good performer. So what I like to do with the natural genius is to challenge them to actually take on tasks or projects that are directly tied to their self-identified areas of weakness. This way they can truly know that not all mastery is innate. And in fact, sometimes mastery takes time, practice and, and sustained effort in order to achieve it. And then finally, number five, the soloist. Now the soloist is, you know, hyper-focused on who completes a task and they believe that they need to get results by themselves. They believe that asking for help reveals that they're not as competent or not as qualified, right, as they should be. And thus, they would refuse help so that they can prove their worth. So then how should you respond as a manager? You know, I will focus on one barrier to the soloist's success. Now, the soloist likes to tackle projects alone, even if it means progressing slowly and working inefficiently. So when I put a soloist on a project... I like to have them proactively identify whose support they need in order to get the work done most efficiently. Now, the key word here and the focus here is efficiency. Having them regularly recognize that other people's expertise will help them be a more efficient and more effective professional can help them overcome this barrier. So guys, in summary, imposter syndrome is simply an emotion, it is a feeling that you can help your team navigate through so that they can bring their best performance to work. Okay, guys, we've run out of time, so do share with me on LinkedIn or Facebook the top thing that you got from this episode that you will implement either on yourself or with your team. And please, if you enjoyed this content, share it widely. All right, guys, thanks for spending this time with me. It was fun. I hope you had a good time and you learned. This is Tabitha and Jerry signing out.